You're listening to uh, Love and Science, and uh, I'm Malcolm Love. I'm joined as, uh, well, very often by Andrew Glaster. Hello. Hi, Andrew Glaster. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Malcolm. How are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. We, we missed you last week, but ja- Jamie and I, we did our best to struggle on. I know people will tell you I said awful things about you at the end of the show, but it's well, just not true. Well, you know? I, 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 they I synthesise my voice, I think. I don't know if you know, but I make the podcast ah! based off the show, it was, so it was I fake. Know. It was all fake. It was synthesised my voice and everything. You can do wonders with technology now. Yeah, which I was going to say, I, every time I come in here, because I don't bother listening when I'm not here, obviously, but when I come in here, <laughs> I, I just you introduced me to new music. I've never heard of the Apples in stereo. Ah, well, there you are. He's just such a trendy man. Yeah, that I am. I am trendy with a little bit of help. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of help. That's uh, George Davis often chooses music oh. for me now. Yes. He's a, a wondrous soul. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, my bid is to change my image. Yes. Slowly well, but surely. Trendy music is the first step. Well, you've ruined it by saying it's somebody else choosing it. I know. You see, I just can't keep a secret. No. That's my problem. Clearly. Um, and you've... I know that you've been really busy the yes. last, uh, well, a couple of weeks or so, yeah. launching your new show yes so to, just tell us briefly what it is because we can talk about it much more in the show later yeah so the show is called the lesser sun uh-huh. and it's about the humanity the stories of humanity is told in our pursuit of getting to the moon and then about the fact that we did actually get to the moon and then a little bit more but i've been making it with a very wonderful performer songwriter performer composer called Tom Adams. Ah, and would that be the same Tom Adams that's sitting exactly opposite me now that's in the, the studio? It would. Welcome, Tom Adams. Hello, everyone. Hello. It's Hi. great to have you here. It's great and, to be here. What, did, you, did you like that nice sliding that in was, uh, introduction? Yeah, it's very seamless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you two are good at this. <laughs> We've practised and practised, oh, sometimes for like five minutes. <laughs> no. it's, 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 it's great to have you on the show. Thanks ever so much for coming coming. Oh, my pleasure. Um, how long have you been in collaboration with this wow. Andrew Glester? With now? Andrew Glester, um, well, it's weird because Andrew and I met about six years ago. We weren't working on the same thing. We were working on a, at the same theatre festival, doing yeah. little things in like in like uh, in like uh, in caravans. Weren't we? You had a uh, Lionel, the camper van, mm. and then I made a show about uh, Apollo Eleven. And Andrew asked me if I'd like to do that in his camper van. Oh. That's about four years ago, and then we did that, and we toured the country doing that. And then suddenly, we've got our own company together. We're called the Apollo Two. Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> this is the first joint wow. interview with the Apollo 2. We're going to get matching bomber jackets. <laughs> no, we're not. Yes, we are. <laughs> and and uh, you, you're going to join us for the, the whole of the show. Yeah. So so the, the, the good news is, everybody, um, Tom's going to sing for us later <laughs> from, the, from the, uh, the show. So we're looking forward to that. So poor man, we've got him in here and made him sing. Uh, but it is something he's happy to do. Uh, also... Um, we're, we're going to uh, talk about various items of science news together, so it's good. And our, our first one up this um, this week uh, is something that's going to interest, because well, we're in space, we're in space here. Yeah. In space, there's an awful lot of junk. There is. And I'm not just talking about CDs that we don't like, that sort of thing. 
we're, we're talking about literal pieces of junk uh, left over from various space missions that have become absolutely lethal. Yes. And there's a big problem. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me with these things whizzing around at great speeds that we haven't had more accidents with, say, the space station. Yes. Well, you've uh, seen the documentary Gravity with, yes. um, <laughs> with Sandra Bullock and yes, George Clooney. the documentary, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and some people say it's not a documentary um, and that it's not scientifically uh, accurate. But there is something in it which is, which is uh, accurate, which is that there is a real risk of something called Kessler syndrome, which is where a, a, one collision between two bits of uh, space debris in orbit around the Earth could then knock one of those or both of those into an orbit with an, an awful lot more bit of d- debris, which would then cause more collisions, which would then send an awful lot more things out into different orbits. And so suddenly you've got uh, lots of bits of debris colliding and being knocked off their orbit that they're on and into another orbit ah, where right. something else is. So is it, if, if, maybe I've misunderstood this, but is, is the point then at least we know roughly where this debris is because it, it, it's only in one or two different orbits? Well, um, I, it sort of, but not really, because there's yeah. an awful lot of it, and it is it is constantly a risk. the The International Space Station itself is 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 on a different orbit to most of these things. What happens in the in the Gravity film is that this Kessler syndrome starts knocking things into that into that orbit. Ah, the International right. Space okay. Station does have collisions with it. There's, if yeah. you look at the uh, photographs of its solar panels, you can see a hole in it where a little micrometeorite went straight through the um, right the thing, but. Um, uh, it, it's not, as I understand it, not at a great risk from, from space debris as it currently stands, apart from this Kessler syndrome, which is this right. idea of snowball effect. Really, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Of bits Creating of, sort of like chaos, really, yes. effect, effectively. And yeah. of course, well, the, more we, the more space missions we do, the more we deposit things in space. If, if you can, if thinking about what it is that's causing this debris, if you think about the Apollo missions, we've all seen that amazing footage where the Saturn V takes off. Uh, from Earth and then jettisons huge pieces of of um, of it into space. Well, some of that obviously comes back down to Earth, but some of it uh, stays in space. And those were some of the first missions, but there've been missions, you know, on a monthly, weekly basis, are getting more frequent all the time since those early days of the space race. So there's an awful lot of stuff there. And space is big. I don't know if you know this, but it's, I'd heard. Yeah, it's really very. very I'd heard big. that it was really big. Yes, and um, there's a, and this is a big uh, problem. There's a, a remove debris satellite. Yes, which has which has gone up. And um, it's taken videos of what it's been doing. It's literally been doing what it says on the tin mm. uh, on the side of the satellite, which is removing uh, debris. So um, there's a video which shows uh, a small shoebox-sized object tumbling end over end about six to eight metres in front of uh, this spacecraft, which came, I believe, from the University of Surrey. Yes. That's right. uh, in uh, Guildford. Um, and... Uh, it fires uh, a bright web, uh, which extends outwards and it smothers the box. Now, I have to admit, I haven't quite uh, got this yet. Okay. Are, they, are they targeting 
a piece of debris and then throwing a net round it, rather like perhaps an angler might try and, or a bad angler might try and catch a fish. Mm. Um, or uh, is it uh, that they're going to put a big net out and just catch whatever comes in that in that orbit? Um, I believe. Well, this one is a test, so they've specifically put something out in front of the spacecraft the satellite that's got this net in it so they've sent something out for it then to be captured but this is a test of uh, concept proof of concept could you possibly do that in space as it happens you can so this is the first of the tests they're also going to test a harpoon so harpooning things and then bringing them back in right um where i as my understanding is that once it's once it's out there they'll be able to send this satellite into an orbit that's got a lot of stuff in it send a net out and collect collect the things maybe harpoon things as well mm. okay. my my concern is i've got two concerns one is that when you look at it on the video it looks like something out of stranger things which is really terrifying <laughs> seeing this met huge net coming towards you in space good job i'm not in space and the other thing is the real concern is that um there's so much stuff and the net's quite small yeah so it can i i suppose they would target something that was you knew was going to be causing a problem soon. Yeah. So you could send a, a, a satellite up if you knew something that its orbit was decaying. So it, well, as yeah. in it was getting. Uh, I guess they want proof of concept, don't they? Yes. They, want, they want to say, "Look, we can do this. This is how we do it. This is yeah. a film of us doing it, yeah. and uh, maybe it'd be a, a, a good idea." Yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome, though. I it mean, is pretty it's, awesome. It's yeah, really. But it's worth seeing the video if you go to the BBC website. Um, Tom, I know that we're we're going to hear um, uh, a, a bit about your show later on, but are you, in general, a big space fan? Yeah, definitely, and hanging out with Andrew makes me even... Uh, uh, even more. More yeah, so, yeah, I can yeah, rub yeah. off on him. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> just... Uh, this, 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 I, I definitely, yeah, I mean, I love... It's weird about gravity, because I heard about with um, all that space debris. Uh, realistically, yeah, it's not the chances of that chaos kind of the the uh the kind of debris getting in the same orbit as the ISS it's like a billion a million it's really high odds isn't it but it makes for a good movie but the yeah. the sheer kind of you know the the dimensions of space and just cuz something there's so much cubic footage is that right? Is that kind of... It yeah. wouldn't really happen. Yeah, no, it probably wouldn't happen. It's possible, um, cause of the, but it's not... It's very, very unlikely. What is... Uh, the real problem is that it, this Kessler syndrome, this, this debris, could, could then take out satellites that we need for life here on Earth. So okay. they are in a different orbit to the International Space Station, more likely to be hit by space debris. And yeah. that could, you know... You know it, it, for example, it could take out the Galileo uh, telescope and then we wouldn't be able to use oh. that for satellite navigation. That would be very upsetting yeah, we'd have to spend billions of pounds making our own yeah oh that's yeah. what we're doing anyway anyway <laughs> <laughs> well so so this is a cleaning up operation it's um uh, this is housekeeping and uh, we've got to put right all the uh, all, all the junk that's uh, currently lying around in space since the 1950s since we've been putting putting things up there um but there's something much more exciting than hoovering up or netting up debris, and that is Japan's space agency, 
yeah. which um, is abbreviated, at least in, in Roman lettering, to JAXA, uh, has made history by successfully landing two robotic explorers on the surface of an asteroid. This is absolutely extraordinary. Um, let's just remember that uh, it wasn't that long ago when we were talking about um, we'd landed uh, um, uh, a little device is known as uh, Philo, uh, Philo, 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 sorry, Philo, uh, on uh, a comet. Mm. Uh, comet is big. People often describe them as a huge. Um, space snowballs. Uh, this is an asteroid, which is a lump of rock. Uh, it's a, it's a kind of different thing, isn't it? It is. Yes, it is a very different thing. Um, it, it's this is first of all, as Malcolm just said, is an incredible feat that, that JAXA has pulled off, landing, as you say, two robots on the surface of an asteroid. Um, I don't know about everyone else, but I'm thinking Bruce Willis. Um, (laughs) but uh, it sent some pictures back um, I notice you don't say that's a documentary what was was that (laughs) what was that one Armageddon that wasn't Armageddon that was the other Uh, one that was Armageddon Uh, that was Deep, deep impact. Deep impact. impact. Oh, deep impact. That, that was the Bruce Willis one, wasn't no, it? No, other way around. Oh, is it? You know, I'm a massive Bruce Willis fan. That's, right. You know, you've come to the right place. <laughs> right. We're talking about, uh, yeah. yeah, should we talk about Bruce Willis more? No, we've definitely got it. So, yes, if you go to, um, oh, if you search for uh, JAXA on Twitter, you'll find uh, th- this um, this, the photographs that this rover has sent and they are awesome, they do look like something out of science fiction, but the reason why they're doing it is because um, the, the asteroid is very early <clears throat> Excuse me, asteroids are rocks that uh, go around our solar system uh, orbiting the sun and they are rocks left over from the formation of our solar system so when the planets were being formed some of those rocks came together, some of these asteroids came together to form planets, some of them didn't, they stayed as rocks out there in space. And what this mission is doing is that it's landed two rovers on a very primitive, very early piece of rock. So it really will tell us what's going on in the what was going on at the early part of our solar system and the creation thereof. Un- unbelievably brilliantly, part of this mission is to blow up a part of the asteroid to dig down beneath the surface to get the stuff that's not been affected by the space while it's been out there. Put that inside a little container and bring it back <laughs> wow. to Earth for scientists to study. This is a sample return mission to an asteroid. Absolutely incredible. Just wonderful stuff. And they've done it. They've pulled it off. Well, they've pulled off the first bit, which is landing. Well, it's yeah. not the first bit, is it? The first bit's getting there. Getting no, the first there. bit's taking off. Yeah, yeah. And then getting there. So, yeah, halfway, halfway. Now, asteroids, uh, I just want to get this clear. Asteroids are different things from comets. We, we said this, so a comet tends to be like a, a, a big a big snowball. It's full of rock, rock and ice and stuff. They tend to have huge orbits, don't they? Mm. They, they uh, And they're travelling very, very fast, mm. usually. Um, uh, going past the, 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 the sun at great speed. So we, we've done the hardest job, which is landing on yeah. one of them. Yeah. Um, asteroids, where do they come from generally? And is their orbit sort of different? Well, they, yeah, they normally come from the asteroid belt. Right, so that's between Mars and Jupiter. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
contrary to popular belief, it doesn't have shoes in it. And uh, that's a Star Wars joke for anyone. Oh, right. Okay. Knows. And um, the, uh, yes, it, it does. Do you know what it makes me think about, Malcolm? It makes me think about when I spoke to Martin Elvis. Ah. And now Martin Elvis is a man who has an, a, um, an equation named after him. It's called the Elvis equation. Yeah. It's, uh, there's this idea about in the future we might um, go to asteroids and mine them for the materials that they hold. And it seems like a crazy idea. It seems a little bit less crazy now we've just landed two things on an asteroid. But I had a chat with Martin Elvis of the Elvis Equation, and here it is. What do you think the timescales on, though? When do you think we'll be turning on the news and seeing uh, rockets launching mining equipment into space? I tend to be not too optimistic about this, because everything in space takes longer than you think. But... If you think about what is needed, there's a lot of prospecting needed by astronomers, both on the ground and in space orbiting telescopes. If we scale up and do things right, uh, then in about in 10 years, we'll have a really big inventory of asteroids that are very promising for mining. Uh, that's like a first look at the uh, how worthwhile they are. On a similar time scale, the, there are a few startup companies that call themselves asteroid mining companies, but what they're actually doing right now is asteroid prospecting by designing small interplanetary spacecraft that can go out to the asteroid and be very cheap. So you can send out 10 of them once, say, and that way they have a really good chance of picking up a a valuable asteroid and then then they know about it and nobody else does and so then once you've got a few of those either half a dozen or so worth a billion dollars or several billion dollars in principle then you can start sending out mining test mining equipment and it'll only be test mining at first you may just make sure that you can hang on to the asteroid and drill into it and then maybe heat up some of the rock and drive off the water and bring that water back uh, it would be one way it's just start, but it could be a few kilograms, right? It could be nothing very big, nothing you'd make a profit from, but it would be test mining. So I reckon we, we ought to be at that position in 10 years' time. Yeah. Okay. And if that, if that all pans out, then you start sending the big mining equipment soon after that. So we could well be well underway in 15 years. Uh, Rosetta mission was, was almost mm-hmm. a sort of test for this, wasn't it? But they didn't bring stuff back. How difficult is that as a challenge for, for mining? A comet right, is on a very different kind of orbit from the types of asteroid we'd be looking for. So the, the types of asteroid we look for are basically in orbits very similar to the Earth. Right? They cross the Earth's orbit, they come very close... The amount of energy you need to get there and back is not that high. Uh, getting to a comet, comets are streaming in on these uh, parabolic, hyperbolic orbits going very fast by the time we get, they get near the sun. So that takes an enormous amount of energy to match that orbit. That's why it took, I believe, 10 years for uh, Rosetta to uh, rendezvous. And they had to do lots of swings around uh, Jupiter and the like uh, to get enough velocity. So it was, that was a tough job. So uh, it's... It, what that mission shows is that Europe has that technology and could do asteroid mining, but you wouldn't do it on a comet. That, okay. that would be a foolish choice. Okay. So in a way, it's actually easier to do asteroid mining than it is to land on a comet. So much, we've, much done, we've done a more difficult thing already. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's, I'm, I'm really pleased that uh, that Europe can do this because it's good to. It's not good that one com- one country or one company 
has a monopoly. That's not that doesn't uh, foster rapid change and growth. So I'm so, thinking that. What what is the use of what you're mining? Is it used in space, or does he bring it back to Earth to use it? What's the what's the thinking? So there's there's two things that people talk about as the sort of initial uh, products you'd like to get from space, the ore you'd like to collect. One is precious metals, uh, platinum and palladium in particular, uh, were uh, the price fluctuates. Uh, it could be as much as fifty million dollars uh, a ton. And uh, that's pretty useful because you don't have to bring many tons back, and it means the cost of getting it, it can be quite high, and you can still make a profit. Yeah, it, it, that's presumably more expensive than if you found that on Earth. Well, the, the price is the same, right? That's the price on Earth. Okay. But, but, do you but, not feel... but why go to the asteroid is because most of the precious metals on the Earth are six thousand kilometers beneath your feet in the iron core of the Earth. And there's only trace residuals left in the crust where we mine it, in, in South Africa mainly, Southern Africa. Okay. Uh, so we've got a few samples of meteorites, which are samples of asteroids, iron asteroids, and they can be uh, several times richer than any mine on Earth in these precious metals. So that's promising. And you know there's a market, so that's good. Uh, the bad news is, even though it's rich, that's still one part in 100,000 or a few parts in 100,000 of the total mass of this asteroid. So you have to really process it an awful lot to get out the stuff that's worth bringing back. And you have to do that at the asteroid because you can't move a million tons around the solar system without current technology. And uh, you're listening to uh, Love and Science. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have your company on a Monday. And uh, I'm joined by Andrew Glester and also by uh, Tom Adams. And uh, Tom and Andrew have been uh, running a, a show producing and performing in a, uh, a show, a space show. I'm going to find out more about that now. So um, some of us, some uh, will remember your uh, touring uh, Dormobile. <laughs> it's been a camper van. Your camper van. I'm so sorry. Yes, that's right. Yes, I, I, I've demoted it. Um, your, your touring camper van. But yeah. this, is, this is a different show. You're not, yes. you're not in the camper van anymore. We're not. We're on... Um Actual stages. Well, in fact, the, when we first do the show properly, it's going to be next weekend in Grantham, which is where <gasps> Isaac Newton was from. Yes. And Margaret Thatcher. And Margaret Thatcher, yes. <laughs> but mostly not Isaac Newton. <laughs> mostly, absolutely, yes. Gravity, Gravity Fields is not celebrating... Um, Margaret Thatcher, but Isaac Newton. So this is this is the name of it, Gravity Fields. Yes, right. and uh, okay. at Gravity Fields, many people will remember Luke Jerram, Bristol-based artist, Luke Jerram's Moon Museum of the Moon, yeah. which was in the World's Memorial Building, yeah, uh, yeah. in Bristol. Yeah. Incredible, huge moon replica. Yeah, and it's going to be a church at a church in Grantham. Uh, next weekend, and Tom and I are going to be beneath that very moon performing a song about... Not performing a song, performing, performing a, show, a show. yeah. Which is, it's sort of like a... What is it? What do we call it? A performance comedy lecture, sort of thing? Yeah, a comedy class, kind of. We're trying to kind of... It's a nice kind of uh, fun, kind of, yeah, entertaining, but kind of, it's not... There's show elements, but it's like a kind of 
teaching people uh yeah kind so, of that lecture kind of way yeah. <laughs> okay it's, so, so. it's exactly like that so I should, well, I, and i should say yes it is very very entertaining and yeah. if you can go you you should go and it's all so how many venues have you got or do you think you will have uh, i mean are you still adding venues to the the tour we probably will do at some point i mean the, the truth of it is and obviously next year is the 50th anniversary of the apollo 11 moon landing yeah so every Everybody who's involved in science fiction is making a show about the moon at the moment, and yeah. this is our one. Yeah, um, this is the best one. This is clearly the best one. Yeah. Um, essentially, what happened was my campervan, the, which we made the previous show in the Apollo 11 campervan, sort of died a bit. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with some other deal. I was lying on the floor underneath um, Luke Jerram's moon in Bristol, World's Memorial Building, and I thought, ooh, we've told so many stories about this place, and it's dominated our thoughts for so long yeah um in certain way you know poetry and art and yeah story science fiction most importantly obviously and and science itself and then we actually got there and the stories changed and i thought it'd be quite interesting to to map that out and i did it uh, we've been doing it together me and tom writing this show tom, tom is going to be performing most of it so maybe i should let him talk about it now yeah absolutely uh, um the the you told us a little bit earlier on in the in the show uh, about how you you got together you became friends you were doing i think tom you were doing something on apollo 11 and andrew got 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 involved in that but what what do you do what do you do now when, when you're um you you came up with the idea for this show i mean what what's what do you actually do? This is like an art show now yeah, where yeah, I'm asking yeah, you yeah. What, I'm going to ask you about your process. Oh, totally. <laughs> well, we've had a really good week. We've been working on it again this week and we've been working with a great director called Laura Mugridge and she's been helping us figure out our dynamic between us, really, because on stage, because we knew... I really like Andrew's excitement and enthusiasm for talking about science, and he's always got a big smile on his face. Mm. He's like he's won a competition, kind <laughs> of, uh, and he's sort of, you know, he's like he doesn't quite believe he's allowed to be there in a way. Um, and the sometimes, of course, he's not allowed. To <laughs> I know that's when, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's when you know that's we've been down that road before. But, uh, he, um, so he's got that kind of lovely, you know, like we're both. Uh, we like try and get across that we're both sort of eight year olds in a way talking about this subject so it's ne- we don't we never kind of get too uh earnest over it's like two eight year olds in their front room showing off a little thing yeah. to their whoever wants to watch yeah um but we're, we're professionals as well at the same time we're um it's kind of a nice mixture but so we wanted andrew on stage i really wanted andrew on stage to sort of create almost a double act really where i talk about it but andrew talk is there as a kind of He's kind of we, we make a joke about it, saying he's he loves talking about the moon, but not publicly. But you like you like, but no, he can talk about the moon, but it has to be in a closed studio like this, <laughs> you know. And we have to. He can't I, see everybody listening. Yeah, yeah. essentially, yeah. what it is. <laughs> the people listening, I don't know. Um, <laughs> is that uh, I'm doing the tech really for the show, so sort of the yeah, sound yeah, and yeah. the lighting and that yeah. sort of thing. Projections and things like that, and I want, I would ordinarily want to do that backstage where you can't really see me. But Tom's forced me up onto the stage, and he got Laura Mugridge, the director, to to help him out with persuading me to come out onto the stage. So that's yeah, but it's a nice, gentle kind of uh, evolving uh, of the of our dynamic because we are we want you know we are the Apollo two, and we kind of make sort of yeah comedy lectures, um, kind of uh, entertaining 
kind of workshops and shows. So we kind of I like I like that about it. It's not just me showing off. Um, it's mostly that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, that's just what performing is. That's great. That's how we, we we love it. That's what you're supposed. That's what you're supposed to do. What did you? I mean, maybe maybe I, I understand that you know this this is a lot of fun and why not? And that's a reason in and of itself to do it. But what? What would make you happy in terms of what this show achieves? I, I, well, either I put that to Andrew and, 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 and Tom. Um, my my goal really for this is I, I find oh, this is terrible, but it's true. I find myself being very very happy watching Tom perform. Right, he's a wonderful performer, oh. and he thrills audiences uh, in a in a very um, in a unique way. It, it's it, when you see him on stage. I'm not sorry. He's sitting right next to yeah. me, so it feels a bit weird. But <laughs> you see him on stage, and you, you feel almost like you've just made a new best friend, and he's wonderful. That's how everybody I think in the don't think about this time. That's how I think what I'm seeing in the faces of the audience, and that's a wonderful place to be. So I wanted to do it with Tom for that reason. You know, you've just wrecked his next performance. Yeah, no, I know. I won't be able yeah, to do I'm it. I'm going to be so self-conscious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Really sorry about that. Um, but uh, the reason why I wanted to to do it is because I had the idea and we had an idea and we wanted to when you've got an idea you just have to share it don't you I think it was what's Carl Sagan wasn't it um, If when you're in love you want to tell the world and kind of I'm in love with the moon and the stories that we've told about it so I want to tell people and share that love and yeah just um, like I've got another viewpoint as well is that of um, we talk about in the show about how everyone we, we sort of got to the moon uh, eventually we landed on it by not it wasn't just sort of, uh, 12 astronauts um, th- uh, they were just the tip of the arrow like one of the astronauts has described it it was thousands upon thousands of years of thinking and having ideas about the moon, writing poems about the moon imagining it and um, and we just talk about that from from every angle as much as we can possible so I like that we work like there's trying to get across a message of sort of working together is better than you can't you know you can't do it alone so there's a, I like that about it if people want to know more about the show I'm sure they do yeah. whether or not they can go and see it what's what's your top advice um, well you can go to the Gravity Fields website so that's uh, that's you know, yeah, gravityfields.com website um, that's in Grantham you can go to my website uh, that's www.tom-adams.co.uk you can look me up on Twitter we're like tweeting about it all the time that's at Tom Adams Seagull because I love seagulls and I didn't realise you'd be stuck with your Twitter name for the rest of your life. <laughs> so, like, you know, who knew? You know, so, anyway, no one told me that. <laughs> okay. Now, um, in the show, you you sing. You you are a singer. You often perform in your in your shows. And this is a, a song about Michael Collins. So, um, I, I was very surprised when Andrew said, "Oh, he's going to sing a song about Michael Collins." I thought to myself, you know, this is interesting. This is the the chairman of the uh, Irish. Free State, um, who died in, uh, who was assassinated in August 1922. But no, it's not that at all. It's the Michael Collins who I think was the pilot of Apollo 11. Yes, uh, in, right. in other words, he remained in orbit while the other two went down and uh, achieved much more fame, Buzz Aldrin and uh, Neil Armstrong. Uh, but Michael Collins was there uh, in the cockpit doing his thing. Absolutely right, Malcolm. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, 
He orbited the moon on his own whilst Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin went down to the surface of the moon. Neil and Buzz got all the headlines and Michael was that kind of third man, kind of that almost... People called him the loneliest man in the universe because he, yeah. did, or, he did orbit the moon. Yeah. Um, and he went around the far side of the moon and radio signals can't reach you around the far side yeah. of the moon. So you just yeah. go out of contact and it's just you on your own staring yeah. into the black abyss, yeah. which is kind of terrifying but also might feel euphoria um he, he's you he read his autobiography carrying the fire and he writes some great stuff about it but um this is a song inspired by that just being on his own i'm pushing buttons i'm flicking switches Scratching the spaceship Whenever it itches Being on my own Is great I was about to strangle Buzz And the moon just a disc but a three-dimensional spectacle from my home I'm so far in something the size of a family car but it's quite roomy actually with the zero G and the Just a disc, but a three-dimensional spectacle. Woo! <laughs> Thanks, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lovely stuff, Tom. Cheers, everyone. Tom Adams, everybody, and uh, who was singing uh, from uh, the show that Andrew and Tom do, which is called The Lesser, the Lesser Sun. Sun. Oh, the we follow two together. Yeah, absolutely. Together, yeah. And uh, if you want to find out more about that, Andrew, you go to... Uh, well, go to Google and search for The Lesser yeah, Sun. The Lesser yeah. Sun, Tom Adams, yeah, you'll find point. it. Yeah, this is The Lesser Sun, S-U-N. It's not, yes. it's not about people who, who didn't like one of their It's not about children. my brother, no. no. Um, <laughs> your brother, yes. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, okay. And um, so uh, you're listening, as I hope you know, to Love and uh, Science here on uh, uh, BCFM Radio, bcfmradio.com. And um, if you want to listen to any of our previous shows, you are very welcome to do that. You just go to bcfmradio.com, uh, go to the schedule, you'll see Love and Science there, or any other of uh, our excellent uh, radio programs here on BCFM. And you can uh, stream them and listen to them for as much as you want. Or we have uh, a podcast, uh, 
uh, without the music, which Andrew does, and it's on Podbean. You look at for Love and Science on Podbean. Do that. Indeed. Um, so uh, we look at science in the news, science behind the news. Now, I understand, looking at uh, science news this week, that wasps have a bad rep. They really do. Yeah. Wasps have been treated appallingly. And uh, there's some scientists at University College London, UCL, who are trying to uh, put that right. Or they're sounding the alarm that we should put it right. Do you know why wasps are getting a bad rep? I think it's largely because they ruin picnics. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and they sting you. Yeah, they do. They do. That's well, they, if they mm. just turned up at the picnic, it wouldn't be a problem, right? But they yeah. turn up at the picnic yeah. and sting you. I think if they problem. turned up at the picnic, brought something. Yes. Brought something we could all share. Yeah. But they I, don't. Listen, if, I, if I'm sitting having a sandwich mm. in my garden, maybe that's where I'm having a picnic. I can mm-hmm. have a picnic in my garden if I want. And there a bit, something incredible, like a flying creature that's black and yellow comes past, I'm going to be amazed. Yeah. If it stings me, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. And that's why wasps get a bag rap. They do get a bad rap. Now, it, it turns out that uh, what you're talking about is the yellow jacket. Okay. Isn't it? Well, is it what the Americans call yellow jackets? I don't know if we do. I, as far as I know, that's an American term, but yeah. the, the, there you go. But there are many, many, many uh, hundreds of different kinds of wasps, thousands of different kinds of wasps, and it turns out they're incredibly important for the um, for the ecosystem, for pollination. So the argument goes that there are researchers at uh, UCL who have uh, been looking into this. Uh, Dr. Syrian Sumner, who's UCL Genetics. Um, and she uh, does research into evolution and environment, um, they, they have done some research and they've found that uh, if you ask people um, about wasps and bees, they say, oh, well, bees, they're nice and furry and cuddly and we're, they're in big trouble, so we need to protect them. I might be a little bit scared of bees, but, hey, you know, they're wonderful creatures. turns out that wasps do... A similar job. They're not as effective as bees, but there's so many of them, and they're incredibly important. So if we lost all our wasps, we'd be in serious trouble. Um, They help pollinate. They also do something else, it turns out, which is that they stop um, other predators becoming too numerous so when uh, particular flies or other kinds of creatures get too numerous the wasps say they notice them and they kill them off and, and, and bring the population down so they do an awful lot of stuff which is really good for us and good for the planet good for the environment um, but they don't get any credit for it i i don't want to be too controversial here but I will be. You're going to be. I aren't just. You? I, I'd rather have a lot of flies in my garden than a lot of wasps. Oh, well, yeah. Come on. Really? Yeah. You're sitting having a but picnic. Flies. Let's go back. To flies the are incredibly annoying. Though. No, but and they're quite unhygienic. I think. You know, flies hang around manure, don't they? As well, and who knows what they're. I don't spreading. have that in my garden. <laughs> Uh, wasps get written about less often as well. Okay. It turns out of 908 papers that were sampled by this uh, research group, this is scientific papers, only 2.4% of them, that's 22 papers, were about wasps. Mm-hmm. And they found that 97.6%, there's 886 papers that have been uh, published in the last uh, 16 years, were all about bees. Okay. So, uh, in, 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 in other words, the, um, uh, the bees are getting massive yeah. uh, publicity. Again, in defence of the um, 
of the scientists, if I was going to do a paper about bees or wasps, and um, I had a beekeeper's suit, which I assume they do, I'd, I've faced with a wasp's nest, which I can go and study, or a beehive. I don't know about everybody else listening, but I'm going to go to the beehive. It's just common sense, isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it, that most... Uh, because this has an effect on, on how we... Uh, what we teach our children, you know, because um, parents will say, oh, it's a bee, it's a bee, They're we love bees, they're very good, they give us honey, oh, they're very, you know, very, very nice. And uh, children learn to distinguish between bees and what You see a bee, the, 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 the wasp will sort of gratuitously sting you mm. so they say but apparently uh, is again this is uh, a part of the write-up that you can read um the um the wasp uh, will uh, what it's doing apparently when it comes to a picnic or to a group of people having a drink outside a pub or something is that they they fly around your head because you're the tall, if you're standing up with a pint in your hand you're the tallest thing in the vicinity and they're making a map of the area that's what they do so they fly around you they check you out they look at you really closely they go right that big tall thing here might be a tree might be a cow might be a we don't know what that is but it's a thing and it puts it on its on its internal map and it's going around checking things out so if people it's absolutely right the advice that you're given if you start swatting it and hitting at it and everything uh, it will turn aggressive if you just ignore it it is extremely unlikely to sting you. That's the advice. That, so does that does that help? Anyway? That helps a lot. So that's brilliant. Now, next time I see a wasp, I'm going to be impressed because <laughs> that's that's an incredible thing to be flying around, mapping an area. Yeah, hats off to them. Well done, wasps. That isn't, yeah, well done, wasps. That's what they do. Welcome to my picnic, wasps. Come <laughs> and map my sandwiches. And speaking about dangerous, stingy creatures, John Ford has come into the studio. John, it's great to have you with us. Uh, interesting show today. Well done. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Did you hear the song? More often, Tom. Did you hear the, did you hear the uh, song? No, I, I, was, I arrived here at BCFM ah, just, uh, just as Tom was about to perform and I, I was elsewhere in the this, building. But, this yeah. was a first for Love and yeah. Science. We had live singing. Wow. I, yeah. I think wow. it should be a weekly yeah. thing and maybe you should bring yeah. your guitar in at some point. Yes, absolutely. Andrew, you should bring your hornet in or something. <laughs> oh, you don't like wasps, do you? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I, I started liking them. I think people would tune in in droves to hear Andrew and I uh, <laughs> yeah. perform. Yeah. I can imagine that. How are you, John, anyway? Very well, thank you. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Don't forget to uh, stay tuned because after the news uh, John Ford will be getting uh, Bristol I don't home. like wasps, by the way. You don't like wasps? No, no, no I was they attacked are. by a wasp's nest, yeah. A few years ago, what an entire in, nest in September. Yeah, my, my we were down the bottom of my garden because I live near a river, and my son picked up a stick. Yeah, uh, this is the short version of the story. And he said, "Do you want to see my golf swing, Dad?" I said, "Yes, please." And he swung <laughs> this stick. <laughs> Unbeknown to him, he smacked a wasp's nest in the <sighs> ground, and they came out and attacked us. He ended up with about twenty-four stings. Oh. I had uh, ten, twelve, something like that. Wow. But we yeah. ran for it. Wow, yeah. and that's they really chased us. Yeah. That is really painful. I yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah. it did. I was more concerned about him, of course. Yeah, of course. Because they went in his clothes and, um, yeah. clothes and you know, yeah. ran up to the house and just literally stripped everything off. And yeah. Then, yeah, that was a horrible experience. Yeah, so. Well, I can remember as a child chasing wasps, you know, uh, running away from wasps yeah. or trying to chase them out of the house, you know, swatting them and everything like that. There are lots of children do that. But, you know, stories like that <laughs> tell, tell you why. So, what did we leave out of the show, John? Oh, loads of things. Um, I'll give you a couple here. Uh, this day in 1960, um, here's something that Andrew will like. The, the first nuclear-powered aircraft carrier was launched in Newport. 
Oh. Not South Wales, Virginia. Do you know what it was called? Um, I don't. The USS... Enterprise. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Which is where they got the name in Star Trek from. Oh, OK, it? cool. Um, and, and this day in 2006, this is a serious... Well, that was serious, but this is serious. as well. NASA recorded the largest ozone hole in the atmosphere to date... It measured an average of 10.6 million square miles, and it was measured by the ozone monitoring instrument on board NASA's Aura satellite. Wow. 10.6 million square miles. And how long ago was that? 2006. It was the largest ever hole in the ozone layer yeah, recorded yeah. to date. Yeah, and uh, the good thing about uh, there's good news about ozone generally, isn't it? That it's it's kind of repaired. Yeah, because we've exactly. we've 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 taken lots of steps, you know, CFCs and things that in your fridge yeah. and all that. It's all uh, all been uh, well. We didn't say it's all fixed, no. but uh, <laughs> no. uh, we're 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 doing we're doing very well. Well, yeah, and uh, but you know the, the the yeah the ozone layer may have closed a little bit, but the, the space junk conversation you were having it's more yeah. serious isn't it yeah, yeah it is I mean, what's going to happen in the future with space junk i mean when when we all have commercial flights you know and and we're all going here and there are we going to you know are people going to be dumping mattresses up there yes the space junk and space junk. has there ever uh, andrew has there ever been uh, an accident recorded uh, that's involved space junk um, you, can th- you can think of. I think that I've, uh, in my distant memory, I don't know off the top of my head, but I seem to think that I read about a collision which happened, which caused um, an orbit to decay, which then, which means that it, 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 the orbit was slowing down, so it was coming closer towards the Earth. So actually, then the satellite burnt up yeah. in our atmosphere, but it wasn't uh, critical because it was an old satellite. I'm surprised that uh, one of our eminent scientists not too far away from us in wheelchairs and jumped on the bandwagon of clearing up space junk, James Dyson, mm. invents a big vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That would be that would be incredible. Yeah. I mean, there is a huge fire in space, right? If we can just get it all into a net and fire it at the sun, surely that's the answer. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah. It's just uh, it's just there, perfect. Wait, wait, waiting for it. Well, look, it's been great um, having your company this afternoon. Um, it, really good having Tom Adams with us. Thank you. And uh, so um, uh, we wish you all the very best for the for the show. You and you and Andrew for the show. Um, don't forget to tune in again for another edition of uh, Love and Science. Stay tuned, as we said, uh, for John Ford getting Bristol home after the news. And have yourselves a very good evening. Love and Science.